G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. I felt this heavy pressure on my chest, like um, I was at the gym and I dropped a bar in my chest and I couldn't get it off. And as that happened, I instinctively knew that I was dying. I could hardly breathe, my brain was still working, and I got up and I turned around and my oldest daughter said, who happened to come out of her bedroom, oh, what's wrong, Dad? I said, something's really bad, I'm not sure. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, sometimes you hear a person's story and you think to yourself, how would I have reacted in that situation? And that's exactly what happened to me as I heard Malcolm Kane's story. In 2012, Malcolm was working as the state director of a Bible college and a Bible instructor when he felt a heavy pressure on his chest one morning. We'll find out how he reacted to his brush with death and how it changed his life today on The Story. Malcolm Keynes is having a chat with Shelley Scowen. Malcolm, you were just going along, living life, serving God, doing some great things, and then Valentine's Day 2012 hit. Uh, tell us about that morning. Uh, it's, it is an interesting how your life can change in a minute, Shelley. Yeah. So what happened on Valentine's Day 2012 is I'd just gone out of bed that day and just sitting at my desk um, writing a card, a Valentine's Day card, and all of a sudden I felt this heavy pressure on my chest like... Um, I was at the gym and I dropped a bar in my chest and I couldn't get it off. And the amazing thing was, Shelley, is that as that happened, I instinctively knew that I was dying. I could hardly breathe. My brain was still working. And I got up and I turned around and my oldest daughter said, who happened to come out of her bedroom, oh, what's wrong, Dad? And I said, something's really bad. I'm not sure. And so what happened was um, I, uh, uh, I, I remember seeing an ad on TV about a uh, an adult a male who said, oh, if only I'd called. And I'm thinking, well, I think I'm having a heart attack. So part of the story, as I talk about it, Shelley, just shows the, the hand of God because it was a, uh, a Tuesday morning, 7.30 in the morning. So we called uh, for an ambulance and, um, and uh, my daughters were getting ready to go to school. And uh, because we're a Christian family, they said, Dad, let's pray for you. I didn't tell them that I felt I was dying. But as they were praying, two thoughts came to my mind. One is, I'm glad my girls are here when I die because the last thing I'll see is them. And then as they kept praying, another thought came to my mind and it was, no, Mel, um, they don't need to see this. So when they finished praying, I said to my girls, I love you, I think you're awesome, but I want you now to promise me that you'll leave the house, that you'll go out to catch the bus and you'll stay on the bus no matter what you see or no matter what you hear. And so they said, yes, Dad. And so they went. My daughters were 14 and 17 at the time. So as they left, I just went back into my kitchen because I'm still very much awake and aware, um, still feeling the pressure on my chest, knowing that life's ebbing away from me. And I, at that time, I said, you know, God, the amazing thing is I don't feel any fear. I know I'm going to meet you in a few minutes, but yeah. I prefer to live. And, uh, and I just sat down on my chair and just waited because the ambulance was called. And, and as soon as I finished that prayer, there was a knock on the door. And it was the paramedics. Now, here's the amazing thing, Shirley. They had just started their shift. They were specialist paramedics, not 
the ordinary ones who dealt with uh, heart attack people like myself. So they come in and the lead guy is just chatting. He says, so Malcolm, what are you feeling? And he put the pads on my chest and began to, to, to do a test to see what was happening and uh, just chatting away and, um, and that. So I'm still very much um, uh, conscious. I didn't lose consciousness at all. And then what happened was um, when the machine had done its test, he ripped off the report, he looked at it, and then his face went white and he started sweating. That's not really a good sign. Not a good sign. But I was just thinking at the time, and I was still remained calm because I figured that if you're at the beach and you get caught in the rip and the lifesaver has got you, you need to relax because otherwise if you, you know, thrash around, you'll take yourself and the, the lifesaver down. So I, I thought I shouldn't panic. And, um, and so then he looked at the report and he said, uh, Malcolm, your left, uh, the main artery in the left of your heart is 100% blocked. Nothing's getting through. And I've got about five minutes to save your life. So, so when, I, when I had sensed that I only had a few minutes to live, it wasn't just a feeling, it was fact. Mm. And so, although I don't recommend or play poker, what he did was he went all in because although I was overweight, uh, people who have heart attacks are people who are obese, um, have high cholesterol, heavy smokers, heavy drinkers, or an immediate family history. I had none of those. Mm. I don't smoke, I don't drink, uh, no immediate family, and so I was overweight but not obese. And so what he did was he, he put blood thinners because my heart was 100% blocked. And I, I talked with the paramedics later on and with other surgeons. And uh, the reality is um, he thinned my blood because he wanted to put a stint, a little metal stint in that vein if it could. Um, and he went all in because if it didn't work, I would have just bled to death. And if they then put the stint in, if my vein had burst, I would bleed to death because I couldn't survive um, because I'd... I'd, my blood was very thin now and they couldn't stop the bleeding. So he knew that it was all in. So when I talked to the paramedic and others later on, they said that people like me always die. We never survive. Wow. Um, because when we have a heart attack, help doesn't come quick enough. Well, the ambulance came in six minutes. Um, but they, they can't re- revive and, and there's no way. And so they can't get the stint in. But a team was being prepared at the uh, Southport Hospital, which is now they've moved, but in the Southport Hospital, and they were just about starting their shift. And so they were waiting for me. And so he began to talk and that and began to work on me and began to put the, the spray into my mouth and, and, and to set up to, to take me to the hospital. Um, it really was the hand of God. And, and so what then happened is there's some interesting stories there, Shelley, about how that happened. And um, when, when they finally did put me in the ambulance, um, I lived in a suburb in the Gold Coast and the hospital was in Southport. And at the time they were building the light rail, which went across in front of the old, what's now the old hospital. So mm. as they were going along and he was doing readings and I, I had morphine, and I've got to tell you, Shelley, that morphine is the most amazing drug when you're in pain. <laughs> um, I felt no pain at all. Uh, he said at one stage, do you feel anything? I said, I just feel wonderful. <laughs> so he was working away and, and then he was kept on doing the readings and then he, um, he said to the driver in the front, mate, you better switch the siren on. we really got to get him there quickly. And so uh, they switched it on and, and they're getting faster and faster and, and weaving in and out of traffic and that. And, um, and then what happened was um, the road that goes in front of the hospital, like I said, was getting built up with, uh, for, for the uh, light rail. So there was very narrow, lots of traffic. It's, uh, you know, quarter, it's 8 o'clock in the morning, I think, and so um, there's traffic everywhere. Mm. And then all of a sudden the, the ambulance comes a complete stop. And the driver in the front says, mate, there's cars in front of us, beside us and behind us. 
what are we going to do? And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I remember the paramedic in the back saying to me, Mal, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And, and so he then said to the guy in front, we've got to get him out of here. We've got to push him. But the guy said he'll never make it if we push him because of like two kilometres to the, to the hospital. He said, we've just oh, got man. to wait it out and hopefully he'll survive. Oh, and man. so eventually we got through the traffic, got in, they wheeled me into the, uh, into the theatre and then um, what they did was they put a stint in the main artery in, in the heart and as I got in there, they tested me again to see if it was still 100% because you see, if it was 100%, they wouldn't put the stint up because it would have burst my vein. And if they can't put the stint up, that means eventually I would die because my heart muscle would shrivel and it can't be revived after a certain amount of time. And uh, then they did the test and the surgeon there said, oh, great, it's 95, it's 95, which meant that the stint, which is 5%, had just enough space to go up. So they put it in there, opened it up, operated it. And, um, and then I'm still awake the whole time. I, they never even put me under. So I oh, remained wow. awake the entire time. And so when I was in recovery... Uh, that uh, what was going through your mind while well, they're at, doing that at surgery my mind, at, at my mind was uh, the sense of peace that i had faced death and that i wasn't afraid which you, you wonder when it's your turn to die if you know you're dying will you be fearful mm. and for me the the great peace that i had was that i wasn't afraid that i wasn't fearful mm. I, just a little side note my daughters actually saw the ambulance arrive at my house they saw them go in, but they stayed at the bus stop and got on the bus and went to school because I told them to. Oh, man, that and must have been hard. Stuff. Look, it was, uh, and they did actually come to the hospital. Like, and that, So um, that afternoon, the surgeon came in about 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, he was finishing up, and he said, you know, Mal, people like you never survive. You always die. But for some reason, you're alive. Because wow. he said, people like you, your heart explodes, you're out somewhere. See, half an hour more and I would have been driving to work and I would have pulled up on the side of the road if I could have or crashed my car or hurt somebody else. Mm. If I got here to work, where we work is a little bit out of the way, I wouldn't have got there in time. Wow. The fact is the heart attack happened when I was in the best possible place, my home, and I called straight away and a guy, two guys had just started their shift and they had been out in the road and they got the call and got to me in six minutes. So the reality is that's God setting up me so the surgeon in the hospital said you know Mal people like you always die you never survive but you're so good that I'd let you drive me home now now he said you can't drive for two weeks because you've had a heart attack but I'm that confident that you're recovered that you could drive me home now and we could discharge you but you've yeah. got to be here in hospital for a few days so that we can figure out the drugs you're going to take for the rest of your life don't have an adverse reaction so Tuesday morning heart attack Thursday lunchtime I left the hospital and wow. I only left at lunchtime because they were three hours late in their rounds otherwise I would have left exactly 48 hours after my heart attack I was back teaching back in my office on Monday morning I did a wedding on the Saturday so Tuesday heart attack at a hospital Thursday Saturday I did a wedding and Monday I was back in the office and I stood up to teach my class at 12.30 on Monday so wow. less than seven days after my heart attack I was teaching my biblical studies class You're listening to The Story. Today, Malcolm Keynes is sharing the story of his brush with death after his heart attack and the miraculous way God saved his life. We'll hear more of his story and we'll find out how this all impacted his life when we return. 
the story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen chatting with Malcolm Keynes about his brush with death after a heart attack. Next, Malcolm looks back on the experience and evaluates what he learned from going through it. Three months later, when I went back to the specialist, because they had to check up after three months, they did another scan, and I went and saw him, and they had two interns from uh, Bon Uni there. And he looked and he looked at the, the printout with 100%. He looked at the one at 95 And he said, hmm. He said, Mal, you know, people like you never survive. You always die, but somehow you survived. And he said to the interns, come over here and look at my screen. You'll never see this again in your medical practice, ever. Wow. And I said to him, wasn't it the, the blood thinners and the drugs that the paramedics gave me that survived? He said, you know, Mal, from what I can see, nothing we did opened your vein 95% to get the stint in. Something other than us opened it enough to to get the stint in. So you're here today. I can see the shadow on your heart, but you're 100% fine. You can go off all the drugs that you're going to be on except one, which I'll get you to take, and the aspirin, and the rest you don't have to. You don't have to see me again. I was actually back working out in the gym uh, two weeks after my heart attack. I'm the fittest I've ever been in my entire life. Mm. I'm fitter than than I am when I was in my uh, 20s. Wow. And so for me, the fact is that Jesus gave me a second chance is one that I don't want to, um, uh, don't want to let it pass because yeah. a lot of people in life, they have things that happen and God saves them or God rescues them or God gives them another chance and they blow their next chance. Mm. Uh, and so for me, um, part of my, the reason I uh, exercise six days a week and, and uh, are very fit and healthy is because I see my exercise as an act of worship. Yeah. Look, it helps me in my job, which is fairly intense, and it helps me understand, uh, it helps me, because my job is talking, speaking, brain work, talking to people, you know, research, things like that. So it doesn't require any activity, physical activity at all. But in keeping myself fit, I see it as an act of worship, and it's here my way of saying, you know, God, thank you for the second chance. Thank you for the second chance in life. So I keep fit, keep healthy. I love serving people and continue to do that. But the reality is people like me never survive heart attacks. We always die because the circumstances aren't set up that way. And mm. God not only knew it was going to happen, but in his sovereignty, and why me and not, not other people, I don't know. I'm yeah. thankful that he saved me. Yeah. But the fact is he set it up so I'd have the first chest pains when those paramedics were starting work mm. uh, at Helensville. I'm there in Pacific Pines. He had them out in the road looking for some breakfast, and they got the call and went there in, in six minutes. He made sure that we got through the traffic and my heart was good enough. So when I got to the team who was actually there now, one of the amazing things is is that that team that does heart surgery starts at 8 o'clock of a the morning. They happened to be starting when I was arriving and they had no so waiting for me. Wow. The next day was their day off. And so they wouldn't have been there. There was nowhere else on the Gold Coast I could have gone to but up into Brisbane, which would have been too late for me. Malcolm... In hindsight, can you see why God actually allowed you to go through all of this rigmarole? I think in hindsight, part of the reason was um, the probable root cause for uh, the heart attack was uh, mostly stress-related. 
uh, and that. So definitely it enabled me to reevaluate my life mm. and to, to make some changes that I did. So in a reevaluation of my life and in a change of my life, I think God was merciful to me, um, which I will always be grateful for, and allowed me a second chance at life and a personal renewal and a physical renewal. And uh, the fact is that um, uh, Jesus was very gracious to me in allowing me the opportunity to survive. And so there have been lifestyle changes, there's no doubt about that, um, and to do with exercise and with eating and to do with how I deal with stress. And um, I, I spent a year talking with a Christian psychologist about how I can reorientate my thinking and living to be uh, someone who doesn't revisit that same uh, situation that's there. So, um, and that's been good. And, and I, I think that's important to take time to evaluate when, when life challenges hit you and you survive I think it's important it wasn't like a survivor guilt which sometimes people feel why am I alive and someone else isn't um, but the fact is okay I am alive what can I learn so that I don't repeat and I'll give a slight illustration when I was in uh, the uh, ward recovering uh, it was all heart attack people and um, and the nurses all of them kept saying to me you know man you've got to make lifestyle changes we don't want to do this and you've got to make sure you eat and if you smoke don't smoke anymore if you drink don't drink anymore I said well I don't smoke I don't drink and they kept handing me and I said to one of the nurses why is everyone going on about me making changes and she said Mel most of our patients in here are repeat business this is your first time but everybody else in the ward now has been here twice or three times or four times in fact the lady that came this is her seventh time the one that was in the room next to me wow. and it's because they have a heart attack we managed to to uh, stop them from dying, but they don't change the habit. They still smoke as heavy as they do, still drink as heavy as they do, they still eat the same things, they still exhibit the same stressful, they don't change any part of it. They survive, but they don't change. And, and those words stuck in my mind, and with the framework of being a believer, I realized that um, God enables us to change when we need to, and I needed to partner with God to be all that I could be. My thought is that, I'm living this way physically and mentally because I don't believe that I deserve a third chance. And I set myself a goal that I'm not going to live a lifestyle which would put pressure in my heart again because Jesus was gracious to save me once. I don't think he has to be gracious to save me another time. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. that's why I changed physical activity and diet. That's why I changed my way of thinking. That's why I renewed and refreshed it. That's why I reflected on what led me to that and how can I avoid it or minimize it. So for me, that's really important that, um, that you do that. Yeah, I think that definitely makes sense. And like you were saying, that exercise now for you is an act of worship. It's thanking God for that second chance of life. I think that's a great thing. What would you say to people that are listening now and they've seen someone close to them die in their arms? What I would say is that as a pastor, and I've pastored for more than 20 years, and in my family I've seen many people that I've prayed for, family members, members of my church, people I've known who have had a crisis like mine, but for whatever reason um, they are no longer with us. And I think it is very easy for people to get angry with God and say, why is Malcolm alive but my loved one, my husband, my wife, my child, why did this happen? And it's so easy for people to get frustrated with it. And I say to people this is that um, one of the joys about heaven is that God will wipe away every tear. And the tears of pain and the tears of loss are real and they have to be acknowledged and they have to be worked through. But I don't know every reason why I've survived. But I do know this, that any question I have about any loved one that I've prayed for who hasn't survived, and I've had many loved ones who've had 
illnesses and haven't survived and I've had other loved ones who have survived uh, and, and I just don't see it as, as fate or kismet or something else because that's not Christian belief but what Christian belief is is that when we pray it's up to God to answer it's his power mm. he's the one who saves he's the one who, who gives gifts he's the one who, who heals it's not me it's not you it's not their prayers and so like, well, that person was a good person. Why did they die? Well, sometimes they die because that's what happens to good people. That's yeah. the whole point of the book of Job. Well, we've the, all got to die sometime. Righteous. Yeah, and we all have to die. It's appointed unto man once to die and then to face the judgment. Mm. I'm not immortal. One day, my life will end. And I can't extend it beyond uh, the reality that God wants. And so I will embrace it because one day I will. But the reality is is that um, I personally believe theologically that if, you, if there's something you don't understand, then Jesus will either help you get to the answer in this life, or if not, there is always the next. Uh, and the reality is any believer who has died, their lifestyle is so much better than ours, and I don't think that they want to come back because the beauty of being with God, the beauty of heaven, the beauty of that, it's so amazing that they're, that's what they're focused on. That's what they're concentrating on. They're enjoying that. Mm-hmm. And one day, as a believer, we'll get to be with them again. And then I believe that any question I, that is unanswered in this life, in the next I'll either ask God about it or it'll be so amazing, heaven, that it will no longer matter why. Yeah. Maybe we'll just have a bit of an understanding once we get to heaven anyway. Maybe it will become obvious to us. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> For sure. Look, and that's the reality. We don't know all the reasons why, and mm. uh, that doesn't mean we don't ask. We don't believe in faith. I've prayed for many people to be healed and for needs to be met, and God's done great things, and sometimes it hasn't uh, worked out that way, And but I still, it, the, the point is still pray. I still pray, yeah. still believe, still believe that God will answer prayer, and uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a great story, and I think we all probably have put ourselves in your shoes as you've been talking. How would I react in that kind of situation? For you, you prayed with your daughters and sent them out of the house, and um, and you stayed calm the whole time. I don't know if all of us would be able to do all of that. You certainly had the presence of mind to make those decisions and make them well. Uh, Malcolm, it's been a fascinating conversation, and I think it's probably made us all think in uh, lots of regards. Thanks so much for sharing some of your story today. Now, I'm Shelley, and I appreciate your time. That was Shelley Scowen chatting with Malcolm Keynes about how he almost died after having a heart attack and the lessons he learned from that experience. As Shelley just said, it's quite remarkable how calm he was going through that experience. To be honest, I don't know how I would have been quite as calm as he was. But just as he said, he was confident in his faith in the Lord and where he would go if he had died. As the Bible says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Well, if you have any questions about how to become a believer in Jesus, so you will know where you'll be going when you die, you can call our prayer line at 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. We'd love to pray for you at 1-800-772-936. Well, thanks for joining us for Malcolm's incredible story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I've certainly always had a, um, a deep belief in Jesus, but I suppose through my teenage years... Uh, 
It was probably more based on my parents' faith and, and going along to church because that's what we did as a family, not necessarily because that's what I wanted to do. Shane Strong is the operations manager for Jesus Racing and he's overjoyed that he's been able to combine his love of motorsports with his passion for sharing the gospel. We'll find out how it all came about next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.